Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health. Welcome back. I'm stoked to have all you guys here with me tonight. Um, it's been, I feel like a little bit too long since I did a show about lifting and stuff like that between all the foreign policy stuff that's been going on. So, uh, I'm really excited to have both guests back on today. Um, the last time I had both these guys on, it was a really, really good chat. So, um, I found out before the stream that they're both apparently from Alabama and don't live, uh, originally weren't too far from each other at one point. So this should be a good show. Um, make sure you like, subscribe, share, do all that good stuff. Check all the links below to figure out what I got going on uh obviously tigerfitness.com and lmnt for all the world's best electrolytes so um i guess without further ado let's rock and roll what is up everybody my name is kyle matovic i am the host of the in liberty and health podcast where we talk all things liberty health and wellness and beyond my hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical, and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Welcome, Max and uh, Fat Dave, or as he knows, uh, Cole. (laughs) It says right there, I almost hit 315. I didn't notice that. I was just close. uh, (laughs) You know what, dude? You did better than me. Uh, So I guess real quick, uh, Max, go ahead. uh, Reintroduce yourself. You were on the show before, but just in case uh, I got some new listeners between now and then who uh, aren't familiar with you. Yeah, what's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Max Coleman. Uh, I'm an Aries. I like long walks on the beach. Uh, sushi's my favorite food. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, what's up, everyone? I'm, I'm Max. Uh, I uh, Last time I was on the show, I was in the middle of data collection for my master's, and now I am a recent master's grad out of Lehman College under Brad Schoenfeld. And just to keep things short and sweet, I basically study how we can manipulate training variables, uh, things like rest intervals, uh, deload periods, 
stuff like that to see how we can make people as jacked and strong as possible. More so on the jack side, though. I don't care so much about strength. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, Cole, same deal, God. Yeah, I'm Cole. Uh, I do a podcast called Tower Gang. That's mainly what I do online. Uh, I've recently, in the past year and a half, gotten into lifting, so that led me to get on Kyle's show because I just I really got into it and started like I went on the same route that Max did. I guess I would more like on the reading side of it. I went into the f- pure like science lifter side, like trying to go as optimal as possible. But yeah, I do a funny show on Wednesday. Actually, like later tonight, I will do our show. It's uh, it's a comedy show, but we have a lot of fun there. So go check that out. And also, I almost hit 315 this week. I was on bench, not on like fucking like uh, deadlift or anything. It was 315. I sent the video to Kyle. Got like right here, and then just uh, just fucking stopped. But uh, I was I was really tired. I ran a half marathon this weekend, so uh, I, I, I didn't de- I didn't I did, I actually deloaded last week, and you just mentioned that. And uh, I probably didn't deload. I just kind of like just stopped. I only worked out like three times last week. Yeah, bro time. And then, <laughs> and then, and then like destroyed the deload by running a half marathon and then going for a max week <laughs> this week. I was like, I'm an idiot, but whatever. Well, you know what? Maybe this kind of brings us into a, a good start to the conversation here. I had um, Bill Campbell on about uh, 120 episodes ago, I want to say. And we kind of talked about cardio killing your gains. And I'm, Max, I'm guessing you probably know it. He said a bit about this as well. Um, he seemed to be of the mind that cardio killing your gains is a bit overstated. Now, obviously doing like a half marathon, that's probably going to greatly hinder recovery and probably put you in the hole a little bit. But it seems like if you're in bouts of like a half hour or less and you're not going all out balls to the wall, you'll probably be okay. Um, what's your read on that? Yeah, I mean, I, look, Bill Campbell's the guy, capital T, capital G. So I'm not going to sit here and argue with him. And I, I might even be more, you know, like more... Uh, liberal side as far as that's concerned uh, in general <laughs> on a, on a <laughs> politics podcast using the word liberal like that but uh, <laughs> nah, nah, no, just, we're all cool here <laughs> uh, no I just um, he so I agree with him entirely in that it is like incredibly overstated the Jeff Cavaliers of the world telling us that cardio is killing our gains right <laughs> um, I think that you're, you're absolutely right as long as you're not entering into it, it, territories in which it's, it's, it's affecting your ability to recover which like you said has to be pretty substantial yes a half marathon probably is in that area uh, where you're not maximizing either your strength or, or hypertrophy gains. Uh, however, there is even some data to suggest that cardio might actually enhance muscular adaptation. So there's this really cool study where they took untrained individuals, it's important to note, and had them perform. It was like, they, it was within subject. It was really cool. So they did like, I, I'm, I'm botching these specifics, but they had like, let's say four weeks of cardio-based training for one leg and then four weeks of resistance training for the the both legs following uh the 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 four weeks and the leg that uh did cardio in those four preceding weeks actually saw increased hypertrophy compared to the leg that didn't uh there's a bunch of theories as to why that might be the case maybe like increased capillarization so it allows for like just more energy production throughout sets and stuff like that um but i mean i'm not going to talk too much about that it's just to say that cardio is not killing your gains and after a certain threshold cardio might actually be making you more jacked than not what I also like, I've noticed whatever I do have some sort of card. I was bulking throughout this, like last, like I've been on like a, not a pure, um, uh, powerlifting split, but kind of a mix of power. It was like power building and bulking at the same time. So I was not doing any cardio, but when I was doing cardio, it felt like I was on long sets, especially the compound lift squats, um, heavy deadlifts, anything like that. I would just get like absolutely destroyed. Like just, uh, my, 
cardiovascular, just like, just really like, especially, uh, I don't know what it is about um, leg press. If I do like leg press, I'm destroyed for the rest of the workout. I'm my, I'm out of breath. I can't recover. And then like, but if I am doing like cardio, I feel like I've been able to do more volume. And so I, that that could just help just, you know, within just, just that low. And that was just uh, when I was doing cardio at that time, it was more hit cardio than like what they say is like, oh, hits, you don't want to do hit. It was just, but I was just what I was doing at the time. Yeah, I think it could go. I mean, I, I don't think hit is, is going to kill your gains either. Yeah. I, I basically don't think anything's going to kill your gains. We can talk about that if you guys want to. It's an interesting topic. But yeah, I think that I, I kind of don't know where I stand on this with respect to like more advanced trainees and people that have like, you know, requisite cardio where they're not gassed after a set of bicep curls. If that's the case, go do some cardio because <laughs> or, or go see a doctor. Um, but uh, assuming someone's like kind of in a normal range as far as cardiorespiratory fitness so vo2 max and stuff like that is concerned uh, it probably doesn't matter like doing cardio or not uh, mostly because if you are someone who's doing uh kind of more high rep sets like you were saying cole uh that is going to give you the cardiorespiratory adaptations that you need to continue yeah. doing sets of 20 and 30 and, and heavy compound lifts uh but generally i would recommend staying away from like the 20s and 30s for things like squats and, and deadlifts and stuff like that anyway yeah i mean could you imagine doing a set of 20 squats like after a set of like 10 12 people 15. doing uh, yeah dude that's hey if, if you're watching um uh, like the old school oh not mike mincer uh, tom platts yeah tom platts he would talk about always doing like you know for 20 sure. 30 40 reps i think he has the record for uh 405 i think he did it 25 I, times i thought it was 500 for 20 something for oh, like was 28 i could be completely wrong i know it's it up there like it's like a yeah. obscene amount of weight for an obscene <laughs> amount of reps and it's just like i don't even know how that's possible like just yeah, and cardiovascularly how that's possible yeah exactly uh, tom Potts is dope and, and super jacked and and i don't take advice from someone with 15 inch quads saying that someone with 45 inch quads <laughs> is wrong but uh the dude like yeah he is literally engineered like i don't think tom platz was born i think he was engineered in some lab <laughs> by a russian scientist to say okay this, yeah. we want this person to be ideal for squatting he's got like short little femurs uh pretty short torso and he can just squat with like the most beautiful upright stance you've ever seen and God. unfortunately us taller individuals such as myself are, are aren't built like such so i don't recommend squatting in the 20 to 30s mm -hmm. Yeah, I got you. Okay, so I guess one other thing I wanted to talk about as well was uh, this uh, new study that's been making the rounds. I know Milo Wolf, I think even uh, Mike Isratel, Lane Norton. I already know what comments. study you're about to ask me about. <laughs> yeah, everybody had comments about this. Cole, I don't know if you read into it too much, but I just kind of listened to everybody's opinion on it. And I'm curious uh, your thoughts, Max, was the uh, 52 sets of quads per week. Um, for me, my volume on quads is, I want to say, maybe 16 sets at most per week. Mm -hmm. And that's usually I do like... Uh, uh, four sets of leg press and then four sets of belt squats, four sets of uh, regular squats, and then four sets of uh, leg extensions. And that's usually like my quad work for the week. Um, and I do, you know, those, you know, the former four or the former two and then the latter two on different days with, you know, different muscles. Um, 52 sets of quads a week, I feel like I would be like gasping for air. And my understanding was that they also had pretty advanced lifters. So like all the lifters that were in there, if I recall correctly, they had a 315 squat at minimum. 
Yeah, it was. It was. They were impressive. Like it wasn't. It wasn't just your average. Like had been lifting for six months to a year, untrained subject that we call recreationally active. Right. These were these were lifters, uh, and yeah, the volumes they were doing were crazy. And it is important to note that while it was fifty-two sets in those like last two weeks, they built up to that starting at. 20 something since mm -hmm. I wish I knew it better considering it's like the study to talk about right now but uh, <laughs> shout out Eans at all or Enes at all I'll never remember how to pronounce his name exactly mm -hmm. but really good researcher and a really good study that has, has certainly caused some controversy amongst a lot of uh, especially the Mike Menser crowd um, my thoughts on it though or because I'm, I'm with you, Kyle, my, I think my quad volume right now, at least is like a right around 13, 14 sets a week uh, with like lunges, uh, some Smith machine squats and, and some leg extensions. Right. Uh, and the idea of doing 26 sets four quads twice a week is kind of unfathomable <laughs> to me. Now, that being said, these people, it was somewhat of a specialization phase, right? Which is what people are throwing on. They did a little bit of, um, oh, gotcha. they did a little bit of hamstring work after the, the sets of squat. I think they had like three sets of, man, I can't remember if it was RDLs or hamstring curls or something like that after the quad workout twice a week. Um, and then they had, I think they just did whatever upper body stuff they were going to do anyway, uh, which I doubt they stopped gotcha. doing upper body work. I mean, these are well-trained lifters. You're not just going to, stop Let's skip torso day yeah, yeah yeah what are you doing like that's <laughs> like the most of you can have skipped arms like no way um so it, i i do think it kind of lends itself a little bit to the specialization conversation where it's like and i think it lends itself to the conversation of like ramping volume right because they added anywhere i think it was one group added four sets every two weeks and one group added six sets every two weeks or something like that i can't remember exactly but i do think that it lends itself to if you're going to do it grade yourself towards that meaning like gradually increase don't be like oh 52 sets is optimal got to start doing that this week you know that's just a yeah. surefire way of giving yourself rhabdo essentially um <laughs> but i but i do think that you know the study showed what the study showed and i don't think that it's safe to say or fair to say that we are certain that that's not achievable that's not attainable right we can't we can't just say because it goes against like what we've thought previously that there's no way that that's how the study actually came out and there's no way uh that 52 sets is what people should be doing right so uh, kind of long-winded there and didn't even really say a full opinion but if you have a more pointed question i'm happy to answer now is there any other was there any other tests or studies that have been done that kind of supplement this in any way or have you seen or is there any like i know there it has been high volume um i don't know if this be this high volume i'm the only cutoff, so i had to wear a polo i wanted to look a little bit nice so sorry um i'm just sorry, any, any like yeah. any uh similar studies to this within you know maybe not just legs or you know maybe shoulders or or anything like that that has done this high volume work before and seen similar results yeah so so this this study is corroborated by a lot of i can't just start name dropping yeah, unfortunately no, i'm not a beast but i know brad has at least one where eventually they were doing i think like 45 sets per muscle group per week so still pretty crazy yeah. um and they did see like better growth but not to the point of statistical significance which is not even you know it's a kind of it's a, it's a whole other bag of worms in of itself. So, yes, uh, this study is corroborated by other studies looking at high volume training. There's not that many. I think, oh, goodness, I think there's somewhere like four or five studies comparing like less than 20 sets to more than 20 sets uh, per week. It's just not super common to have 
that high of volumes, uh, probably for like practical reasons. Like I can't imagine like the researchers in this Ena study doing 52 cents a week. I mean, they were had to have been in the lab for many, many hours a day. Right. I can't even imagine. Uh, but the point is that the data does seem to suggest that as you go, uh, as volume increases, number of hard sets per week, you do see increases in size right now once you get past that this is what is true once you get past that 10 to 20 set range each additional set that you start adding is not is going to have like a nominal increase in, in, in its in its effect right like a um uh, repeated about effect or diminishing returns is, is a better way okay. of putting that right yeah. so from zero to ten the difference between zero sets and ten sets huge the difference between 10 and 20 sets substantial the difference between 20 and 30 pretty small and then it just keeps going and it gets asymptotic but i think the important thing to point out here is that we have not found that volume yet that people always talk about because remember this conversation for a long time has been yeah there's an inverted u where mm -hmm. it gets better 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 kind of plateaus a little bit and then you start actually regressing yeah. in the amount of muscle that, you, that you're able to build right and we just have not found that volume yet now that logically makes a lot of sense and i would imagine that's obviously the case like it's a it, it, almost every system biologically works that way we just haven't found what that actual threshold is yet i think that's important because at some point it starts eating into your recovery actually of the muscle right. itself where it's just it, you've by the time you go on to the next uh the next session of actually working out you they haven't fully recovered so you're actually yeah. just still destroying and not uh your muscle hasn't recovered from what it did the last session which i still can't believe like how, what were they split up into? What was it? Was it like two days was, a week? It was two days a week, and it was eight sets. Mm. No, nine sets of squats, nine sets of leg press, eight sets of leg extensions, or something like that. I believe. In yeah, the that's end, like because right? remember they worked up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So at, the, at the end of the, the step, quad yeah. gauntlet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they asked I'm, him to do hamstring work afterwards. I can't even imagine. Yeah. I mean, like that reached beyond an eight-hour arm workout. That's what this <laughs> sounds like. But like, exactly. you, like so Milo yeah. did it. I don't know if I, I don't know if he was on uh, post his workout, but I was actually with him in the Applied Muscle Development Lab. Oh, no in, way. Okay. In, in, in Lehman or at Lehman in the Bronx, and he I was with him while he did the workout. So and Lyle McDonald sent him a thousand dollars, like he said he would. Shout out. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Lyle McDonald, for those of you who don't know, said that he would send a thousand dollars to anyone who recorded themselves actually doing the workout because he was under the impression that there was like no way anyone could do that. Right. Milo <laughs> did got a thousand dollars and it took him about an hour and 45 minutes, an hour and a half hour, 45 minutes. Something like that. So it was a substantial workout. That's a, no joke. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I know for me personally, my hamstrings are very, very sensitive to volume and especially intensity. Like if I do a set of RDLs with like over 200 pounds, really controlled, then my hamstrings may be wiped out for like five days afterwards. Yeah. So like I typically go for like a lot of hamstring curls and then I kind of incorporate obviously deadlifts. I do a lot more sumo now. Um, I was doing trap bar a couple months ago, but I've kind of worked my way back up to about what my working weight is now, which is about, you know, anywhere from like 455 to like 510 on um, a sumo deadlift. But yeah, if I if I do RDLs, I'd be fucking torched. So I couldn't imagine doing that many sets of uh, squats. But like you said, they kind of worked up to it. And um, Brad had wrote the original, I think it was what, a meta-analysis that suggested like 10 to 20 sets mm -hmm. per muscle per week is like the ideal. And people have started, I don't want to say tar and feather that, but they kind of almost like say like, oh, well, this is like dated now. But um, it seems to me that that's still probably like a good recommendation for most people because that's a range like, okay, well, I think it's pretty easy to get like five sets per per muscle in per workout. So if you're going three times a week, then you could easily get 15 sets in if you're doing a full body split yeah. three days a week. And that's why 
I think like a decent bit of people are going to fall that aren't a serious is, you know, maybe us three, us three, we're probably going to go maybe four to six days a week. So we may be able to just, you know, disperse that volume throughout multiple days. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and also it's like, it's important to remember, like I, I, I said this uh, a second ago, but like they were just training quads. Like they did a little bit of hamstring work, uh, but they were pushing quad volume. So you, you right. can't say definitively, right. That, if we if we trained 52 sets for every muscle that would be ideal right because right. then uh you might actually be cutting into recovery right so if i try to do 52 sets mm -hmm. in my quads hamstrings calves delts all of blah 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 that might be too much right so who knows we can only say for sure what we found from that study itself right also this um i guess because i've always heard there's been that debate over volume versus intensity kind of a thing and so where does that did that uh how did they take into account the intensity of these uh of the actual quad work that they were doing did they were they using rpe were they doing rir and then yeah. was it okay i can't remember if they used rpe or rir but it was it what well, i do remember that it was either rpe 8 or rir 2 so they left okay, two yeah. reps i can't remember how they documented it in the on the paper uh but i do know that they left two reps in reserve on each set except for the last set of each exercise they went to absolute mm. concentric muscle failure so Ooh. yeah wow. and 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 with your with your question while we do th like to more like principle based mm. answer to your question while we do th think and and there kind of has to be a relationship between intensity of effort and volume the literature right now is kind of pointing towards we should be taking both levers and pushing them as forward as far as we can because Zach Robinson's paper, shout out, a uh, really good paper and a really good researcher, uh, all of the guys at Data Different Strength, uh, suggest that, yeah, maybe it is better to to train closer to failure, right? Now, there's a lot of caveats in that paper that he'll be the first to tell you about, but it's the way that the direction, it's the direction that the literature is pointing towards, right? Same with, uh, with volume, right? And all of those, this is a really important thing to note, all of the papers that we have comparing volumes, right? To lower volumes to higher volumes regardless of the paper the rir is the same like almost all of these they're pushing to concentric muscle failure or voluntary volitional failure or whatever it may be or they're pushing to two reps in reserve or whatever it may be uh so while there is a relationship there has to be a relationship between the intensity of effort and the amount of volume you're capable of recovering from the direction the literature is pointing right now is saying eh, maybe we should be taking a lot of sets really close to failure a lot of the time essentially which is which sucks yeah <laughs> I, I, I get why the like mike menser crowd is so mad right now because i'm mad too <laughs> i wish that i could get maximally jacked off of one set a week but i uh it's seemingly i can't and and the literature seems to suggest that as well yeah, there seems to be a lot of people out there that are a big fan of, and I'm sure you know about the uh, X3 bar, where they say all you need is one set, you know, per muscle, you know, per workout. And that's always seemed kind of silly to me because, I mean, I bought the X3 bar early on in the pandemic, so that way I had something to use when I was at home. But, I mean, the idea that you would just need to kind of do one set, you're hardly even warmed up on a first set, and especially yeah. if you're not doing, you know, like a sufficient workload so you know like if i did one set of deadlifts to failure um it would take me forever to get all the way up to let's say 400 pounds and then do a set to failure because if i just you know threw 400 on the bar and tried to go to failure right away i, I i'd go straight to snap city you know like just, it's, it's been such a silly idea but it still seems to like peek its head up every here and there and it even seems like some people like fall for this that i wouldn't think should but um you know i think you and i talked about this last time you were on max that like it seems like for your more isolation movement movements you're probably fine doing a set to failure or taking that to failure 
on like the last set so you know tricep extensions bicep curls lateral raises calf raises whatever you could probably take those to failure but like the squats and the bench press and the deadlifts you might not want to go to failure on those yeah my, my opinion on that has actually changed a little bit oh, i think okay. that not like drastically because i still sure. think yeah like don't go to failure on bench press and squats like unless you have like for like literal safety reasons like yeah. Uh, yeah. unless you have like the requisite safety precautions necessary then yeah like be careful um but i think that people often overplay uh the let's call it systemic fatigue associated with going to all-out failure uh i think that while yes you probably will see larger increases in whatever measure of fatigue we're, we're, we're taking here uh going to all-out failure like it's probably not going to preclude you from growing either like assuming that you're you're operating within like normal volumes and stuff like that so I've actually changed my mind a little bit with respect to that in that I'm kind of more comfortable telling people to go a little bit closer to failure, even on compound movements now. Now, uh, I've also seen a lot of this is mainly I watch a lot of Jeff Nifford, I watch a lot of Mike Isretail, and they're really pushing on the stretched aspect of the on the eccentric part of the lift. Now, when you're factoring in, you know, volume, intensity, where does then come in this the range of motion slash um just technique of hey we're going to really stretch these muscles out on the eccentric we're going to take it slow where like is that how does that factor in within the uh what you're going to see as part of hypertrophy in your muscles yeah so so kind of like shout out milo wolf once again like because that's where mm -hmm. they're getting this not like exact directly but like he's kind of the one like really uh in, uh pioneering this movement sort of speak to we should be biasing towards longer muscle lengths just in general right um and that's a really good question by the way cole like how does that interact with these other variables right because that is so important it, it like the the interaction between all of these variables is ultimately what's going to determine success in getting as jacked as possible right so i do agree wholeheartedly with mike isretel with dr mike isretel with jeff nippard and with dr milo wolf with respect to we should be biasing the majority of our movements to longer muscle lengths and we should be definitely not avoiding that stretch position in any movement if if, if mm -hmm. our bodies allow it right uh however i don't think that it really affects anything to a high degree i still think we should be going pretty close to failure when doing things like length and partials right especially because a lot of length and partials allow you to go to failure pretty yeah. safely um and then uh, i do think potentially that these volume numbers will come down ever so slightly with length and partials now that's pure conjecture um, is purely just my thought, my idea with respect to how it works. And that's just because we generally see larger, like uh, higher uh, measures of muscle damage uh, with length and partials, right? We, we expect to see um, more myo damage in general when we're spending more time in, in the lengthened position, right? So it might bring down volumes a little bit, but uh, to speak a little bit anecdotally, so science hat off, bro hat on, uh, I've been using length and partials a lot and I, my volumes haven't really changed very much at all with respect to most of my muscles in which I'm switching almost exclusively to length and partials, right? So uh, I, I do think there's an interplay there, but it doesn't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be so large that it's actually making a pragmatic difference in the, either the amount of volume or how close to failure I'm going, if that makes sense. I, I almost think it's kind of a cool, that was uh, I'm actually so... I told Kyle about this. That's why I bought uh, Jeff Nipper just put out, he put out a new split. Basically mm -hmm. it was a pure hypertrophy split. So that's right. why I was going to try it next. And that was something he did. So every, I think it's the last 
set of like every exercise is some type of um, different variation of. So it would be either Lincoln partials or doing Mayo reps or doing a drop sets of, of some so, some sort. And to me, I'm just like, that just kind of sounds fun as part of the, just the monotony of going to the gym every day, doing the same thing. It's just like, hey, I, this is a different way to like, just on the last set, go all out, burn out your muscles for like doing some Maya reps, doing link, like, instead of doing the full like tricep extensions, we're just going to do just that top eccentric, this that top part, just the length and partial part. And I was like, that just sounds fun. Even if I don't see any, significant gains from just doing those final sets like that it just seems it would make me more um i don't know excited to get in the gym and try those out like and i think that's a good mental part of it for certain certain people especially if you've been doing it for a while um and in the gyms four to six days a week yeah and if i can piggyback off that cole i think that so this is something that i've been kind of um preaching for a while now uh the more and more time that i spend like delving through this bullshit let's just call it i'm talking about rocket science here right uh i you realize like man a lot of this shit works like most of this shit works yeah and a lot of people want to get as jacked as possible and a lot of people aren't losers like me who are uncomfortable going to the gym and doing the same thing for a decade on end right and the really beautiful thing about this is uh, cause like when you first start out, uh, especially uh, Cole, you can probably empathize with this. When you first start out getting into like the evidence-based side, right? You want research and you want the Jeff Nippers and the Mike Israels of the world to tell you exactly what to do yes. on Tuesday. Cause that degree of clarity is really nice. Right. Uh, but the more you get into it, you're like, you know, what? it's actually kind of nice that this study found no difference because now mm-hmm. I have a lot of autonomy and I can be like, oh, I like this more. I'm going to do this and it's not going to make a difference in my physique. So I say that not every road leads to Rome because they don't, uh, but most of them do, assuming road is just being as jacked as possible. Right. So I, I literally have a, a note in my phone about like most of this stuff works with respect to getting jacked. So just do the stuff that you really enjoy. And that includes like switching things up constantly. Like I just did some drop. I was like, I was in a rush to get back to my apartment so that I could film this with you guys. So I did some drop sets at the end of my workout. So like really squeeze that stuff in. Yeah. Well, two things there. Um, I like how you kind of point out how like most of the stuff works. Mm-hmm. That's the same deal with nutrition, obviously. Um, you know, I, I think you and I might've talked about it before, but I did carnivore for like two years. And then now, now looking back and like how many, you know, how much gains did I leave on the table because I was so under, you know, nourished for that period of time. And I wasn't able to push as hard and I just wasn't eating enough calories um, versus now just doing like a flexible dieting where like literally after this, I'm going to go downstairs and fire up my Ninja Creamy and have protein ice cream and absolutely <laughs> like love my life. Right. Uh, like how much did I leave on the table because I didn't do stuff like that. And um, the other thing I want to bring it back to is uh, Max, you did a whole, I think a research roundup on, um, drop sets versus just traditional training. So if you kind of want to highlight uh, some of your findings in that. Yeah. So, so it was a research roundup in a way it was a meta analysis. So it was a, it was like, we, we, yeah, we took um, five different, well, we took more than five. Anyway, we took five studies comparing drop sets to uh, traditional training. So drop sets for anyone who doesn't know is just where you perform an exercise to or close to failure. And then you immediately drop the load by uh, anywhere from 10 to 15% and then perform as many additional reps as you possibly can. And you can drop this many times. So you can go from 15 or 20 to 15 to 10 to five, or you can just go from 20 to 15. There's really no like universal uh, understanding of like how we're supposed to actually go through that, right? Uh, or universal definition for how we should do drop sets, both in the literature and if you ask three bros how to do drop sets, you'll get three different answers. Uh, but 
we found some pretty cool stuff. So we found that there was basically no difference across all five studies between strength and hypertrophy when you averaged all the findings together. Now with strength, there's some caveats to there that we'll get into in a second because I, I, I'm skeptical. Uh, but with hypertrophy, it was really interesting because I do think that there's probably no difference. Uh, even if you stretch these studies out longer um, than they, they were conducted for, probably not a huge substantial difference between uh, just training, you know, doing an exercise and resting three minutes and then doing it two more times versus just doing a drop set with two additional drops, right? There's probably no difference there at all. Uh, however, those that were performing drop sets trained with I think it was less than half of the amount of time as the individuals that were training uh, with traditionally. Uh, so that's the same amount of gains in half of the amount of time. So pretty incredible. Uh, so that was like the, those were the big findings. Now, I think the caveats to the strength thing are that the majority of the loads being used in these five studies were in that like eight to 12 ish rep range, right? So we wouldn't expect big differences in one RM strength between groups. However, there was one study where they were, they did bicep curls comparing like high load to low load to drop sets. And they found that the high load group did increase strength substantially more than the drop set group, which makes sense, right? Uh, and there was also a study by Fink et al where they saw improved tricep extension strength uh, but they measured their like tricep extension strength in the 12 right, rep range. So we couldn't use it for a meta-analysis given like our a priority inclusion criteria, right? Uh, so all of that is to say that drop sets probably aren't ideal if you're looking to get as strong as possible. My caveat to that is that if you are someone who's pressed for time and you're interested in getting, you know, uh, stronger, just perform that first kind of like initial set maybe in like a heavier rep maybe in the three to five rep range and then do your subsequent drops from there to keep you in that you know more so like eight to 30 range we'll call it i have seen um i guess it's been termed like mechanical drop sets where mm -hmm. it'd be more of like a instead of you don't change the weight at all you just right. change your technique to where you do cheat a little bit more so maybe it's the you know you get 10 reps and you're doing strict nice good curly movement and then you're like, hey, you can, I could maybe do like one more if I was doing real strict, but I can do like three or four more if I let those shoulders come forward a little bit and let that like, is that, was that ever, was that in any of the, the studies or is that something that you've just on your own, you've anecdotally, you can see be like, hey, it kind of does work the same or what do you think about that? Yeah. So I think that. I would like to uh, redefine mechanical drop set there because that's just cheating. I would yeah. call that just cheating, which is, and I think just calling it cheating is like, the, like adds a connotation to, like, I don't give a fuck if you use your hips a little bit on, the, on, <laughs> yeah. on like a bicep. I'm not allowed to cuss on this podcast. So oh, yeah. It's okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. In the answer. You're good. <laughs> I was just making sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, that I think is just cheating, uh, kind of like ego lifting to a certain extent. And I would generally advise against that. Um, it's probably fine. It's probably not going to, like, you're not probably not going to get injured because you're using your hips a little bit more. Um, in fact, we just wrapped a, uh, a technique paper with, with Dr. Pack. Dr. Pack kind of led the paper and, and I was, I was fortunate enough to be involved with it. Um, and there's very little literature looking at like stuff like that, right. Where you're, uh, allowing for a little bit more momentum or a little bit more ego when lifting as opposed to being a little bit more strict. There's like almost no data on that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I can't speak to that empirically. Um, but with respect to mechanical drop sets in general, I think they can be really cool uh, and another really fun time efficient way of doing it. So like another one could be like uh, where you're 
doing bicep curls, right? With a supinated, with a supinated wrist, like so normal bicep, bicep curls. And let's say you get to eight and you could do, like you said, one more if you kept supinated, but you might be able to get like three more if you went to a hammer curl or something like hmm. that. Like that would be kind of a cool mechanical drop set. The utility there, again, I don't think that's going to like yield you any major gains or anything like or even any better gains than just failing with a normal supinated but it can just be like a fun little thing to do uh, i don't think that uh there's anything magical about it another form of mechanical drop sets that people have been doing lately is these like set extended length and partials yeah uh where you like do a pull-up and you could have done one more pull-up all the way to your chest but you can do like 10 more pull-ups if you pull like just to your forehead right uh those i don't see like a strong rationale for because then we're just taking length and partials and making them less hypertrophic theoretically throughout the entire set. Like I would rather someone just do a strict straight set of length and partials rather than finishing a set with length and partials, I just see. in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, I think you mentioned last time you were on, you were also doing a little bit of research into like the effectiveness of creatine because there have been, you know, the, the highest volume of studies showing that creatine is like beneficial and, you know, good for cognitive abilities and all this other stuff. Um, did you get around to finishing that or what were your findings there? Yeah. So that study was led by, it was another meta-analysis. That one was led by Ryan Burke. Uh, shout out Ryan Burke. He, he, you should have him on your podcast. He's really good. I'd love to, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we did finish that. Well, he finished that. And I was, again, lucky enough to be a part of it. And the findings were not that crazy. We found some slight. So there were actually are shockingly less studies than you, you would think on younger, uh, well-trained individuals. Right. Uh, and I think, oh, goodness, this is so embarrassing. The study was written a minute ago, so I don't remember it super well off the top of my dome. But I think it was something like only five studies. And we did find a slightly decreased uh, effect size compared to the normal studies looking at creatine because studies previously were looking at just improvements in, in lean tissue. Uh, so like mm -hmm. increases in, 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 in lean mass, lean tissue mass. Um, and that can be kind of conflated given that water is lean tissue mass. Uh, so we conducted, we were looking at studies that directly measured hypertrophy either through ultrasound, MRI, or DEXA uh, analysis of, of muscle mass, right? Uh, and we found that it still is worth taking creatine. Uh, it might not offer as much of a benefit as we once thought, but it still offers more of a benefit than any other uh, legal supplement for muscle building that we're aware of. So uh, not huge benefit, but still worth taking and unbelievably cheap. Uh, creatine monohydrate, shout out, uh, like it's super, like, there's no reason not to take it. Uh, even if we did find that it's not as effective as we once thought, it's still effective and it's still worth taking in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So was... you're saying that we shouldn't uh, go all in on turkesterone? <laughs> Probably wouldn't <laughs> put a bunch of money into turkesterone if I were you guys. <laughs> Well, about ashwagandha and uh, like the next the next one that's about to come up soon that's probably going to be another random name that everybody's going to jump onto for two months before it gets debunked by literally everybody yeah, out someone there will make a lot of money off of those two months for sure unfortunately. <laughs> yes it was well, actually Cole, really did cool. you oh sorry good oh i was gonna say uh, just for with on creatine not necessarily the um the lifting side of it but i was uh my wife was pregnant and i was like i wonder if creatine is like fine for the just for because pregnant women, you know, like, basically, you go through the list of what they can't have, and it's like a mile long. And they're like, no, like just random stuff you would never think. Yeah, about. no, and but they actually said like creatine for uh, pregnant women is like actually really great for them, and and I was like, okay, it's mm. literally there's nobody that should not be taking this. Like, it's <laughs> almost a universal. Just I told my I, my grandfather is like eighty five, 
And I was like, hey, it's great just for mental health, like for just mental capabilities, cognition. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay, maybe I should take it. And I was like, and it's cheap. Like, that's the coolest thing about, like you said, it's like $30 and you'll get like two, three months worth of like of mm-hmm. daily supplement. And it's better than any just vitamin you can take or, you know, multivitamin you can take, at least for seeing actual um, results uh, in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of the cognition benefit, like the cognitive benefits of creatine, because those are a little bit uh, equivocal, uh, meaning like we're not super sure, like it's pointing in that direction, but we can't say so like very confidently. Um, The like muscle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply retention and and the the improvements that you would see uh in muscle mass is also a reason for your your 85 year old grandfather or father to be taking them right like it's just like you said there's really no population that we found a negative uh for creatine use so it's it's there's no i haven't heard a strong rationale as to why you shouldn't be taking it the hair loss thing is ridiculous uh but anyway yeah, you know, it's funny. I was listening to uh, Lane Norton on uh, Bradley Martin's podcast. I want to say it was, uh, yeah, yesterday and today. And I think the way that they came to that conclusion was that it increased DHT levels, which is mm-hmm. supposed to be associated with hair loss. But um, like none of the study or none of the uh, participants in that specific study actually lost hair. It just increased their DHT levels. So, yeah, and it's one uh, study showing yeah, increase and- in DHT. like. Yeah, and to, I guess more to the uh, credit of creatine, I remember reading a study, and this was back when I was carnivore. I think Paul Saladino, you know, of course used this, but I, I I don't recall all the details of it, but they gave vegans creatine, and what they found is that they actually had better cognitive performance, but it's likely because they probably weren't supplementing with it, and also when you're a vegan, you're not getting a lot of car- or, um, creatine via your diet because creatine is mostly found in animal products. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so vegans uh, seem to benefit more from creatine in every regard than than meat eaters, obviously, or just omnivores in general, uh, for that exact reason. Yeah, um, I, I've seen people kind of throwing stuff at. A, I think it was Iron Culture had made a whole podcast, and I haven't watched it yet about um leucine because i know a lot of lane norton studies that he did back in the day were on like mice and leucine and it's supposed to be what the uh three gram dose is supposed to trigger muscle muscle protein synthesis three grams of leucine and that's um you know kind of been widely recognized like the most important amino acid um has there been kind of any updates on that or um, more nuance around there? Like I see some people talking about, oh, well, these different amino acids, you know, may do this. Um, there's a guy I'm in a group chat with where he's like super nerdy about the science. He's trying all these different supplements and stuff like that. I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. Like I'm pretty relaxed until I start seeing, you know, a lot of people say like, no, there's actually like confirmed evidence of this. Um, I'm trying to remember the one supplement he started taking. But um, I guess anything like when it comes to different amino acids, have you seen anything on that? 
Yeah, so um, I haven't watched the Is Is Lucy really important episode of Iron Culture? I'm I'm a bit behind, but I, I do want yeah. to, and I'm sure it's an incredible episode. And I bet it comes down to I would have to watch, but I bet it comes down to like, yeah, leucine does matter. Of course, it matters. Like it's an essential amino acid. We need it to survive. Yeah. Uh, not only that, but we need it to kick off the process of muscle protein synthesis. However, you shouldn't worry about getting adequate leucine, assuming that you're eating enough protein throughout the day. So assuming you're somewhere between 1.6 and 2.2 grams. Of, of, of protein per kilogram, which is just anywhere from like 0.7 to one gram per pound, right? Uh, you probably don't need to worry about if your leucine content is is up to par. Uh, and for, I don't have anything like more nuanced to say than that, unfortunately, just because it's sure. not really my realm. Uh, but leucine is important, uh, very important. You need it, uh, but you're probably getting adequate doses of leucine, assuming you're eating uh, even suboptimal protein amounts, especially if you're someone who like like us, like people in this sphere, like we eat a lot of whey on average. We eat a lot of like whey or meat products or, or protein supplements in general that all have like uh, enough nitrogen uh, in 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 surplus, like enough of nothing amino acids in surplus to to keep things going. So. If you're getting the majority of your protein from whey sources or, or animal sources in general, you probably need even less than that 1.6 to 2.2 grams, right? It's, so yeah, don't worry about leucine. It's it's been pretty funny because my uh, my dad he he lists as well as like he actually got me into it mostly. He's the one that, um, but he like swears by his B, he gets BCAAs and he takes them all the time, and I don't have the heart to tell him like, hey man, like he eats meat, like he eats very much he eats enough and i i don't have the heart to tell him like you don't have to spend you know the 20 dollars you do every every like couple months to refill tasty water yeah i was like i was like if you like the way it tastes like go ahead like knock yourself out but i just it's i mean just look on the back of your tub of this like the tub of whey you get and they show usually all the uh the bcas they have already in there and you don't have to take it by it. It's just, but it's just funny because it's, it's another one of those things, just like any of these supplements that have been um, like hyper uh, like pushed to a point of like you need these or you're going to be losing. You're putting you're leaving gains on the table if you don't. And it's like, yeah. man, there's it's honestly within nutrition. There's probably not a lot out there that is actually like that of like, hey, if you don't take this one thing outside of just eating enough protein, um it's really like you can probably you can get ninety nine percent. You know, I mean, they killed it. <laughs> it had, yeah, <laughs> they did a good yeah. job. Yeah, he said, "Oh, whoever first marketed BCAs really hit it out of the park." Though that Nothing. guy and the one the people that somehow marketed C four to be somehow the best pre workout for you know for, throughout the <laughs> yeah. whole early two thousands, whoever oh did that. God. And got it for some reason, this random, what, like, not even the, I don't know how, but C4 somehow became, like, the industry standard at, like, if you go into any gym that sell stuff there, it's always C4 that is there. And every, you know, 18-year-old high school broccoli head is taking it before their workouts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah dude, we, go ahead, go. Uh, yeah, I remember being in high school, and uh, I used to go to GNC when I first started working out, and I would drink the non-stim pre-workout and the stim pre-workout as soon as i would leave work i had two bottles of water driving up to the gym and i would just pound them and they were both little things to see four and i just remember my heart fucking beating out of my chest and my friends were like dude i'm worried about you you're gonna like die if you keep taking that shit <laughs> yeah i i don't i i don't um I don't know what genius decided to to like got behind the c4 or the bcaa's 
And your dad probably is fine to keep drinking BCAAs. Yeah, obviously. he's totally fine. I, I, I just that's why I was like, do what you want. It's your money. It's that me. Yeah, it's it's the meme of the uh, it's a meme of the swimmer in the pool dumping water on his head. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly what's happening if you're eating enough protein. But it it could be worse theoretically than pouring water on your head in the swimming pool because. There is some evidence to suggest that if you consume BCAAs in high enough quantities, they actually, your body starts competing with the metabolization of those. So mm -hmm. you actually stop metabolizing the protein uh, as well, like uh, whole protein oh. with a complete um, profile of amino acids, like of the full essential amino acids that you need, um, which could theoretically result in, in less muscle growth. But I don't think that that's something that your father really needs to worry about or anything like <laughs> no, that. I don't think that's go. something that anyone needs to worry about. But given that there's only negatives to BCAAs and theoretically no shown positives, please stop spending money on BCAAs. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's more just a waste of money. It's like you can spend it, like yeah. spend it on I, I don't know, like just go get more creating. a nice steak every. Get, just get buy, just spend <laughs> the thirty dollars on a nice steak once every month instead. It's, like it's, it's literally that. for nothing except for potentially worse gains. Like that is literally <laughs> all you're paying money for at all. So Six. yeah, I think it's. So, uh, Forswami asked, does Max know anything about acetyl L-carnitine? Isn't that supposed to be some kind of like, um, I've seen it marketed as kind of like a metabolism or like a fat booster. Um, I don't not know too, too literally anything it. about acetyl I-carnitine, unfortunately. Cannot, uh, okay. Cannot speak yeah. I know. I think a lot of supplement companies typically market as like some kind of fat burner. I know that, um, what the hell is it? Uh, CLA conjugated linoleic acid was another one that's been marketed a lot. And then like a lot of the fat burners have like green tea extract yeah, and, the green tea uh, things. I, I can't remember some of the other stuff that's in them. Um, yo, him beans, another one. I will say, uh, I don't know anything about that supplement, but I can tell you that if you're taking a fat burner, you will know it because, they are miserable. Like one, you're probably t you, if you're taking a fat burner, it's either you're taking nothing like a sugar pill, or you're taking a fat burner uh, like clenbuterol, and you'll know it because the side effects of taking fat burners are like miserable. Like mis you, your bother, your body is either not fully dis digesting the nutrients that it's supposed to be, uh, and like you're basically eating food that is passing through you uh, before full digestion, and you like have miserable shits because of it, or uh, it, it literally increases metabolism to the point where like your body is like burning up. Like you are, you are like, because a byproduct of metabolism obviously is heat. And if we're increasing metabolism to the point of uh, enough for it to be making a big difference in your, your fat metabolization, right? Your body temperature goes up like significantly. And it's just apparently a miserable, part. like you listen to bodybuilders talk about peaking for stage when they're taking fat burners. Like, it sounds like a miserable process. So you'll you'll know if you're taking a fat burner. Uh, and there's also pretty negative health detriments to doing so. So what are y'all uh, y'all's thoughts cool. on Ozempic, which is how it's become so uh, big lately? Not necessarily in the lifting community, which I guess sometimes it's just like guess, people in general, but just people like just and how you think that's gonna work out? Just because I've I've just been seeing like you've seen a, there's a lot of pictures now of like celebrities that used to be like pretty big. And that have all slimmed down really drastically, really quick. And everybody's just like, oh, okay. So this, this drug comes out. Everybody's taking it. Now everybody's yeah. getting pretty thin. But, like, it just seems to, I don't know. To me, I, I would be afraid to get on it just for just yeah. nutritional uh, reasons. But I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. If you guys, if I think if you're like us, you probably don't need it because 
um, you know, it's probably better to diet down slowly and maintain as much lean mass as possible. Um, my wife is an EMT and she says that, like a couple of people that she works with are on it and they're losing a ton of weight. But my understanding, and I'm, I'm guessing Max would probably know a little bit more than me on this, but um, my understanding is that like, okay, so it slows your gastric emptying. So you, it just completely demolishes your appetite, but there's been a lot of um, research or a lot of research poured into like where they've seen that people, they lose like half muscle and half fat. Now I think that some of those studies were done in people that weren't resistance training. So it's possible that if you were resistance training and, you know, had sufficient protein, maybe that would be less, but like, you know, if you can lose that weight naturally through cardio and proper diet, you're probably a lot better off than taking a pharmaceutical drug that will destroy your appetite. And only that, um, when you crush your appetite like that artificially, you're not learning the behaviors of actual, you know, caloric restriction or adjusting your appetite to not, you know, be so large that you can't lose weight. Um, Max. Yeah. So, so I actually am on a different side as both of you. I, I'm big team Ozempic. Yeah. Like I think it is, okay. I think it's quite literally a miracle drug uh, that's going to end the obesity epidemic. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that the reason that these individuals might be losing a substantial amount of muscles for the very reason you just said, uh, sure. and we do have data to suggest that if the, if you're losing weight at, at, at a rapid pace, Assuming that you're not lifting and you don't have a lot of fat to lose, you're going to lose a substantial amount of lean tissue. So I think that the reason they're losing a lot of muscle is not because they're taking Ozempic, but it's because they're losing weight very quickly and because they're not sure. resistance training while they're doing it. Um, I think that the side effects of Ozempic are seemingly nominal compared to the side effects of obesity. Uh, and we sure. also don't know what the long-term effects of Ozempic are. We think we had our first five-year study that just dropped. We the human race. I, I was not involved in that in any way. Uh, but there was the first five-year study that just dropped with respect to Ozempic and look, results are seeming dope. Uh, and I think a okay. lot of people do this is so that we're getting a little bit outside of well, very much getting outside of my realm of, of research and my realm of expertise. But uh, when you talk about obesity, people often don't think of it as a disease in any way. Right. Um, and we often think of it as a, and I'm not saying that you guys were saying this by any means, but people often think of it as a, a lack of willpower or a lack of education, right? It's not, it, it's, it's it clearly behaviors. isn't. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one genetics, genetics play a, the, the heritability of obesity is, is huge, right? Uh, the, 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 the lifestyle choices obviously have an impact, but I think that to say that obesity is strictly because of willpower is obviously misguided. And I think that, you say you said this, Kyle, and I think this is often a, an argument that people say where they say that people are using this drug and they're losing this weight, which is great. However, they are not learning the principles of, of how to eat healthily or to live a, a healthy life. Right. Right. However, uh, that is the same issue that we've been having with respect to obesity forever. Right. For, yeah. for since yeah, the dawn of time true. where these individuals are going to the doctor. The doctor says, uh, OK, this is what you should be doing to lose weight do it. They don't do it because it's not that simple. It's not as simple as right. telling someone to eat less and move more. Uh, <laughs> and they don't do it and they stay obese. The alternative is that they go to the doctor. The doctor says, okay, here's Ozempic. And you should use this in conjunction with all the same things we've been saying for the last several decades. They don't do it, but they're losing weight. I know which one of those I'm picking, right? I'm picking, yeah. like, I understand and I do agree that Ozempic is to a certain extent, and even this is, is a bit too simplistic, uh, putting a bandaid over a bullet hole. 
However, it's the only Band-Aid we have. And it's seemingly a Band-Aid gotcha. that is doing a damn fine job of, 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 of improving this, this um, disease state, which is, is what obesity is, right? Uh, so, yes, I do think that uh, more should be done. We should be learning a little bit more before we start proselytizing the benefits of Ozempic. However, it does seem to be an incredible tool, and I'm personally all for it and its benefits to our society as a whole. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a very, very reasonable take as well. Um, I'm not a naturalist guy. I have a lot of followers on Twitter that are huge followers, like a naturalist fallacy, where like they see this, some of the stuff that I'm making with protein powder, and they're like aghast that I chemicals. would put seed, yeah, that I put <laughs> chemicals or seed oils or processed food in my body. And I'm like, you realize like even that ribeye steak that you can't wait to down, which is loaded with saturated fat, um that is processed as well like everything is processed what does it mean to be processed of course it's processed it doesn't have fur on it still bro like like yeah, yeah. it's processed well, I and then like know what that word means well like is it is the processing inherently bad or good so like let's say i take a cookie and i load a shit ton of butter and a shitload of sugar into it and made it into something this big that was 600 calories that is a very very bad form of processing but let's say let's get a fat free greek yogurt that is a good form of processing because you took a lot of calories out and raise the amount of protein that you're getting in a serving and it tastes good. So like, I, I'm not like this black or white processing is bad no matter what. Like there's good processing. Pro protein powder is a perfect example of this. Yeah. That is a great form of, pro of um, processing food to make it more digestible to people. And once again, people can poo poo this all they want, but like Cole, your grandfather, I'm sure probably experienced this being 85 years old. He's probably not able to eat stuff as easily as he was. Oh when yeah. He, was he said, uh, he said gastroenteritis. So he, uh, he had, to yeah. have part of his, uh, colon removed and then hey, shout like, out. basically, yeah, he was, I had part of my colon removed. So that's yeah. why I'm saying shout out. Not, <laughs> yes. not that I'm just it's, a big it's, fan it's... of that surgery or anything. <laughs> <laughs> shout out gastro, man. <laughs> yeah. But like to, to that point, like he's not going to be able to sit there and eat a uh, filet, right? Or he's not going to yeah. be able to eat a sirloin steak. That would, that would be a motherfucker for him. So like we need to have the, you know, curb to get to better health as low as possible. And this is why on Twitter a lot, I'm always saying like, stop demonizing all these foods, especially when we know like none of them are really bad for you. If your diet is entirely, you know, just butter and, you know, no fiber or anything like that. Okay. You have a shitty diet. You should probably improve it from there. But like, you know, if you're getting some seed oils and maybe a little bit of sugar, but like you're still getting in, you know, let's say 20 to 30 grams of fiber a day and your protein is good enough you're probably okay. And if you're getting some artificial sweeteners and let's say you drink diet pop, heaven forbid I do. Um, that's okay too. Like just, I, I can't stand these people who want to demonize people who are just trying to make an improvement in their health. Like, Oh my God, you have canola oil. Who cares if they're getting healthier, <laughs> that's probably way better than, you know, whatever seed oils could possibly do to them. Yeah. I mean, the seed oil thing is fucking crazy. Like literally <laughs> fucking crazy. Like, yeah. you know, that fat that basically every scientist and doctor thinks we should be eating more of. Yeah. That shit's bad for you for sure, bro. All right. Man. Like, thank you. Thank you for telling me that polyunsaturated fats are bad for me. That's really the, the thing that we should be. It should be a uh, proselytizer. Right? It's ridiculous. Hey, and I, then even I, to your point, oh, go ahead. Go. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I am on the no seed oils, but like only in my house. Like I just have avocado oil and olive oil only like I will yeah. go out and eat whatever like fast food and not give a fuck it's just like in my like usually i'll be like okay if i control what i like 
specifically what I can control, like, in my eggs in the morning. Like, I'll cook it with sure. olive oil, like, extra virgin olive oil. But, yeah. yeah, but I know there is, like, there's, like, so I'm more on the other side of you, Kyle, but not on the deep end of, like, I literally, they, they, uh, there's a great one. I do follow it, Seed Oil Scout, which they're, they're in New York, Max, but they, uh, and they, um, they will literally put out a map of what restaurants don't use seed oils. So that you can only go to, like, so people can only find, like, those. Which I was like, hey, it's a cool thing, but, like, I'm not that crazy. I'll go out to Chick-fil-A, and I'll get the fried chicken sandwich, and I don't care. <laughs> like, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's a little obsessive, but, like, when you start diving into the literature on it, you actually find that, like, canola oil is actually very cardioprotective. Exactly. Um, all, yeah, exactly. Olive oil, same deal. Olive oil has, I, I think they said that pretty much olive oil and canola oil are, like, the two best oils. And avocado is good for my understanding as well. Um, I really don't think there are any bad oils out there unless you're getting, like, straight coconut oil, um, which, like, even the amount of oils that people generally cook with, you're gen- if you're using a cooking spray, you're probably going to be all right. It's just, like, you don't want to put a fucking stick of butter in your coffee like that's when we're going a little overboard here and even if you have like a ribeye steak or some brisket i do over here and there you probably want to pair it with a little bit of fiber to negate the potential bad effects of the saturated fat like that's it's not like if you have you know a fattier cut of steak that day that you're going to die the next day or if you have a teaspoon of whatever seed oil you're scared of that you're going to die the next day like these things are very manageable and colin guessing whenever you were carnivore you probably dove into that didn't you like you oh absolutely into, yeah you're yeah. you like i was super yeah super anti-carb super anti-sugar because that guy super uh, anti-seed oil dan baker is that his name sean baker sean baker i've yeah, had yeah. him on the show yeah he was he was just on rogan and i was just yeah. listening to it and he was just you know and i was like hey he probably makes some good points whatever like and i was like i yeah i just like eating meat a lot so like i'm down so, with it like <laughs> but at the same time like i also really like bread and i literally i really like you know like sugar like i'm sorry yeah, you have an like, apple every once in a while yeah, it's like, not gonna yeah. kill you. <laughs> like, i have and, uh, i've i make the french toast every single morning every single morning so yeah i don't know who sean baker is except for the director and writer sean baker who made like really? the florida project and, and i'm sorry you don't know who sean he debated lane norton on a power project he was on rogan twice i'm not He's in like the nutrition came... realm super super heavy sure. like I, i'm you know i'm in it as much as the next guy who's literally an exercise scientist but i'm not like <laughs> i don't I'm, it's not like the stuff right. that interests me a ton like sure uh so like debates and stuff like that it's just like it's gotcha. not ever going to be the thing that i'm i'm tuning into uh but sean baker makes really great movies the other Sean Baker. <laughs> this guy's like uh, he's a he, he's he's just a huge carnivore, like one of the biggest like proponents and like putting out studies on it and stuff like that. But uh I think but, that yeah. here's a good rule of thumb. There's a diet that tells you to not eat fruits and vegetables, don't follow that diet. That's just my <laughs> if, if you, you take anything from safe. this podcast whatsoever, that should be the thing that y'all take away. Any listener yeah. ever, if, if if there's a diet that tells you that you shouldn't be eating fruits and vegetables don't follow that diet yeah okay. well maybe this brings us back to uh back to focus here is uh the milo or a uh, milo wolf i think when i had him on i can't remember i want to say this is over the summer maybe back in like may or june i think he said he was finishing up the paper that he was doing um do you know what i'm talking about and if you do do you know the findings yeah absolutely so it's his it's his range of motion paper i would imagine yeah i would imagine that's the one yeah yeah so the, the, the he found that um there are less than five. Now there's five, but at the time there was less than five studies comparing a full range of motion to, well, they found a bunch of stuff from the study, but I'm going to answer the stuff that's actually worth talking about, uh, which is that 
when they compared range of motion, full range of motion training to range of motion in the length and position. So doing a bicep curl, full range of motion versus just like halfway up, right? They found that uh, they were actually, individuals were growing more from doing a lengthened partial, right? Um, which threw a huge wrench in the whole full range of team full ROM and all, and all kinds of stuff like that, right? So that was where the findings from his paper. And since then, one or two more studies have come out further corroborating that. So there's, I believe now five studies comparing a full range of motion training to a lengthened partial, like a lengthened partial range of motion training. Uh, four of the five say that there's a benefit and one of the five says that there's no difference at all, suggesting that, you know, this might be a good idea, uh, training with a, a lengthened partial. Now, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that with those, they kept weight and reps the same for all of those usually because, and, but what I've noticed is whenever I do length and partials, this is usually I can eke out a either a little bit more weight or a few more reps. And I didn't know if that was accounted for or was that it was something that was, uh, because I feel like that also lends towards, Hey, you can, you not only is it better if you just straight up comparing the two you can also eke out a little bit more weight with each one or a little bit a little bit more volume with each one just doing because it's only half you, you, your muscle only has to go through half of the rom yeah so so they they probably didn't match weight and reps well, well they probably did match reps so they probably had individuals training through the same rep range okay. right they probably had individuals that matched for volume right they did okay um but they wouldn't match for weight because you're right on some movements like we were just doing the bicep curl example you can curl more uh, however, uh, there are some instances where you actually have to use less weight. So like, for instance, yeah. uh, squats, like I have to use far less weight for yeah. length and partial squats than I do for full range of motion. Same can go with the chest, uh, except for like the back, like the back, you're able to use a lot more weight, uh, when you do length and partials, same for like the, the delts or something like that. But, uh, I don't think that the benefit there is necessarily that you're just able to do more, uh, because that wouldn't work out. Uh, for instance, like for the quads, where you actually aren't able to use as much weight as you are for a full range of motion. So I'm not going to postulate as to what the mechanism of action is there, because we just have no idea. Um, and anyone who says that we do know why lengthened partials are resulting in more growth is just wrong. Uh, but I will say that the data is pointing that in that direction. And I don't think it's because you're just able to do more weight because, well, funny enough, you're not, which is actually a big correction from the first time I was on this podcast, uh, which I haven't said this yet, but thank you so much for having me on. Not only oh, once, dude, but of course, um, I said that gun to my head. I do think the length of parcels are probably a little bit more injurious than full ROM training. And I hadn't really, I, I had uh, uh, practiced with it a little bit, but now I, I'm like months and months and months into having used length of partials. And I don't think that you're actually going to see an increase in, in injury risk because of the very notion that like, you do have to use a lot less weight in a lot of instances for depending on the muscle group that we're talking about. Right. So no idea why, but it is making people grow more generally speaking. So no, I have, so heard, I pose, uh, oh, I pose this to Milo. I'm sorry, Cole, uh, no, real quick. Um, I, when I had Milo on, I asked him like, okay, so would you think that this is kind of like, let's say if you were eating three meals a day of, let's say 180 grams of protein, if you bumped it up to five meals a day, you're not going to see a huge difference, but it's going to be a difference. Nonetheless, he seemed to agree that that was like a good comparison. Um, now that he's put out this meta-analysis, um, do you think that sounds correct or? So I, I don't think it's a good analog because I don't sure. I don't think you're going to see a difference from three to five with respect to getting as jacked as possible. And I do think you are going to see a difference doing length and partials versus full ROM. Okay. Um, 
So I, I don't think it's a perfect analog. Like I do think that it will make you more jacked doing length sure. of partials. At least the data seems to suggest that, right? Uh, in context, similar to the ones that the studies are doing. So I can't say confidently that you should be doing so sure. for your hamstrings or your, or your delts or anything like that. But your biceps, your triceps, your calves, your quads, and your glutes all seem to respond pretty positively to doing length of partials, right? Uh, however, increasing the amount of protein that you eat throughout the day, like assuming you're eating, let's call it three meals, I don't think going to five is going to make a difference at all. Uh, now, to your point, because I think this is really the point, is that it's not going to make a huge difference at all, right? Uh, but it is going to make like let's call it a five to ten percent difference in 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 growth. So that I think, seemed to be what yeah. he said as well. Um, yeah. So I do agree with him there for sure. So. I kind of had two questions for you. One was uh, you mentioned like the you didn't know why maybe this was. I know Mike Still talks a lot about metabolites. Whenever you do get on that lengthen position and you pause and you hold, that it does increase the metabolites within that muscle that will. Um, push hypertrophy and then two um have you done or looked at any of the studies on not necessarily going the length of partials during the set but after a set of actually stretching the muscle for 30 to 60 seconds um and what you've seen part in the studies on that because i've heard of a few of those and I, i've tried it it hurts like a motherfucker I, I mean, it, it, it sucks, but <laughs> I want to know if so, I should keep doing it. Both really good questions. One, I don't think you see an increase in metabolite sequestration just from doing length and parts. Like maybe, maybe you would see an increase in, in metabolite pools because there's kind of like somewhat of a more tension on the muscle, mm -hmm. like more constant tension throughout the set. But I don't think you can say that definitively. And I certainly don't think that's the reason you're seeing an increase in growth, right? I think it's much more likely to do with. I'm not even going to say what I think because I don't want people saying that I said what I think <laughs> uh, with like any degree of confidence. Um, but I think that with respect to your second question, yes, I do know about some of those studies. I was on one. Uh, oh, for cool. sure. It was actually the first study that I ever had published was an interset stretched study. Uh, shout out Derek Van Avery. He's the one that led that. Um, he, yeah, we had individuals who had their legs randomly assigned to one of two groups. Either you just did your sets normally or you did a set of calf raises and you did a 20-second stretch. Uh, immediately after reaching failure. And those individuals did see an increase in growth in the soleus muscle. So your your calves are made up of a bunch of muscles, but the two we generally care about are the soleus and the gastrocnemius, right? And the soleus did seem to s respond positively to that stretch. Now, that being said, we were very confident that that the, the you would see an increase in growth following that protocol, right? However, the degree of difference was one millimeter so like do i think that there's a difference maybe maybe do i think it's pragmatic fuck no like i don't i don't especially given how much the subjects complained about how much it hurt like it you sucks. just did well like doing a stretch like a weighted stretch after a set is in my opinion unlikely to lead to any extra growth exactly. i had tried it extra growth. i had tried it after doing there was a couple ones, so I had tried it on chest, bicep, and back. So different for, for lats. So it was on chest. It was doing some cable flies and then doing a nice big uh, pec stretch, which hurt so bad. And then doing the same same with like bicep, doing some bicep curls, and then just like stretching out their bicep, and then then the uh, doing some uh, I think it was just rows, and then going up and doing like a nice lat stretch. Every one of them hurt like a motherfucker. It sucks. Like the like those are some long thirty seconds. Like yeah. where you're just just hoping to finish it, and like yeah, like I guess afterwards your muscles kind of do feel good. I don't know if I notice any difference. At the same time, I was in a newbie phase, so it was kind of like 
where the gain's coming from, just the newbie side yeah. or like, you know, that I'm pushing. Reps. That's why research is so important. Like what yes. you're talking about right now, Cole, is like why research is so important because we do isolate variables and we can be sure that if something, if there's a difference between groups, it's because of this thing, yes. not because like, yeah, I started turning my pinkies up more on lateral raises and my delts grew. And it's not because of the five grams of anadrol that I started running. This <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, bro, for sure. It's your pinkies up on the lateral raises that cause that growth. Like, so I, I couldn't agree more, Cole. I'm, I'm glad that we have these studies to like confirm like stuff that you were just saying, like findings yeah. that you had. Gotcha. Um, I guess we could probably wrap on uh, the deload stuff. Um, so I oh, breezed yeah. through the deload study that you did, Max. And I think Cole and I kind of talked about this a little bit too. And he also mentioned that he just got off a of deload and then you know, did the marathon. Um, what have been some Quite of your uh, updated thoughts? Yeah, no, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, what are your updated thoughts on deloads? And I think you did, I think I talked to you a little bit about um, the study that Bill Campbell did where he looked at um, people and it was kind of like a messed up way they did it. like they had people that trained consistently for I think it was nine weeks and then um, they had people who took like two weeks off two weeks on or something like that you know which study I'm talking about yes yeah yeah for sure so there's two studies and they're not out of Bill Campbell's lab I don't believe unless there's a Bill Campbell study that I'm not aware of uh, okay. which I'm sure there is uh, but I don't I don't believe he he did this one it was it was two studies out of uh, Japan from Ogasawara Ogasawara at all and I'm sure I botch that every time I say it on on them <laughs> social media but uh they had individuals trained for six weeks and take three weeks off and for a total of, of six months actually it was a really great study and they found almost no different no statistically significant differences between groups uh but i also like you were kind of just alluding to ran a study on deloads uh not too long ago so i i wrapped in may of this year and we had individuals trained for nine weeks uh with the following exercises so twice a week with us uh, five sets in the eight to 12 rep range to all out failure of Smith machine squats, leg extensions, seated calf raises and standing calf raises. Right. And the only difference between groups is that one group trained for nine weeks straight and one group trained for four weeks, took one week off and trained for four more weeks. Right. No differences in hypertrophy, but those that took a one week break actually didn't see nearly as impressive as strength gains as those that trained continuously. So strength was actually hurt by taking a week off, right? Oh, gotcha. And then more interestingly, in my opinion, because who gives a fuck about strength, was that we also did a readiness to train questionnaire at the end of the fourth week and the end of the ninth week. So those just asking questions like, how strong do you feel today? How mentally strong do you feel today? How was your sleep last night? What's your appetite look like? And we actually found that those that took a week off actually saw a decrease in motivation from week four to week nine, which oh, is shocking wow. to me, and increased muscle soreness compared to the other group from week four to week nine huh. as well. Huh. So very interesting psychological findings, in my opinion. Now, of course, there was no differences in growth. We didn't really expect there to be a huge difference there. I mean, we're talking about the difference of two workouts over the course of nine weeks. We don't expect to see big drastic differences there. But the psychology findings, the psychological findings that we found were very interesting to me. Mm. Huh, because I was then, uh go ahead, Cole, sorry. Oh yeah, it's because I was this was like a deload before Max Week, um, which I know that is kind of like and it was it wasn't just a take the whole week off, it was a specific um workouts to do during that deload week, which at the same time I missed like four days in a row. And and I was like, Oh well I'm deloading so it should be fine. But I was at the same time in the back of my head, I'm going like, Am I losing gains because of this? If I if I just it were like, and then also when I am deloading, how hard should I actually push it or not hard? It, you know, I was, a lot of it was saying, Hey, do RPE like six or right. five on some of these. Um, 
and for me, sometimes it's kind of hard for me to gauge that, even though I'm usually gauging RP eight to 10, getting down to five, like once you start getting lower than eight to seven, like once I get down to five, I'm like, I really don't like, I, it's more of a guess than anything. And like, and how much does it actually affect the next week for a max week? Maybe you said you, you did worry about strength as much, but, um, on the strength side, but also on the hypertrophy side for someone who's doing, do you suggest every three months, maybe just like one week? Or I know that old bodybuilders used to actually take a week off, just not even lift at all. Uh, and swore by that, but I just want to, yeah, so I, I, I definitely take a more auto regulated approach, meaning like, I don't say every three months or every four weeks or anything like that. I say, how good do you feel? Like you yeah. feeling good? You ready to put, you still motivated to train your joints aren't hurting. Your numbers are still going up. Why in the fuck do we need to deload? On the other hand, if someone comes to me and they're like, Hey, like I don't want to train, like I don't feel good. I don't want to go to the gym. Like we have very clear evidence now to suggest that taking a short break away from the gym is not going to hurt your gains in any way, really. So I'm certainly not going to tell them no either. So like that's kind of like to kind of like just wrap that up. Like that's my philosophy with respect to deloads is just that if someone wants a break, give it to them. It's probably not going to hurt them that badly. Uh, but make sure that they need that they want the break or need it because there's probably no reason to just because we assume that it's going to lead to better gains, give them a week away from the gym. So I, that's kind of like my philosophy with respect to deloads in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, when I had Bill Campbell on, he said that he takes, I think he said one week off every five weeks or something like that. But mm -hmm. I think he's a little bit less into the, you know, perhaps competitive, um, ideals is like me or Cole maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I've been taking a week off every here and there because unfortunately that's kind of been the best way for it to fit my lifestyle is that, you know, like, um, just about a month ago, my wife and I celebrated our one year married anniversary. So that week I took a week off and then, um, actually Thanksgiving week, I didn't take a week off, but yeah, like just like whenever I travel or something like that, if I'm going to be gone for a few days, like my deadlifting day is normally Sunday. Cause I get up real nice and early and go to the gym. Um, that's usually the day I do deadlifting. So like, you know, I try to generally shape my deloads around my, uh, my like vacation weeks or something like that, just because I think that's like the easiest way to work it in. And I think that's the best way to go about it, man. Like that's like, nice. that's my philosophy with respect to deloads is like, mm -hmm. if you need a break, take one, it's not going to hurt you. And like, try your best just to structure it around your life in general. Like that's how deloads work for most people in general. And I think that's a really good way of going about it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think we could probably wrap there, Cole. I'm guessing I yeah. My, my wife got home. She was like, "Hey, we're going to dinner. Let's go!" <laughs> like, hell yeah, about to go eat some Mexican, man. <laughs> uh, we're so oh, dude, yeah. nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got to say goodbye <laughs> to my friends. So this is actually working out quite nicely. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Max, go ahead, give your plugs, and then Cole, do your plugs. And we'll get on out of here. Sweet. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, nothing, nothing fancy. I'm really not that many places. If you're, uh, if you want to find out more about what I do and and future research that I've got going on, like follow me on Instagram at Coleman at all. I'm sure we'll link it in the show notes. So it's not just Absolutely. me like rushing through it to say Coleman at all. Uh, or for the real nerds out there, you can find me on ResearchGate, and that's just Max Coleman in general. So yeah, that, that's all there. Hell yeah. Nice. Thanks, thanks for, uh, of course. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, uh, it was nice to meet you, man. I never really, uh, I've talked to Kyle before. I never really talked. He was like, Hey, we're gonna have a like, researcher from Lehman that's, you know, under Brad Schultz. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. Let's go. So oh, well, it was you. nice it was to meet nice you, to but talk to a fellow two, five, six native, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, fat comic Dave at uh, tower King Cole on Twitter. Uh, tonight is tower gang. So if you, if you want to, like raunchy comedy uh nothing that kyle does he's not funny at all so but uh <laughs> but kyle thanks again for having me on man 
Yeah, of course, guys. We'll definitely do it again. I, if you guys don't got anything, uh, we'll wrap it up. See you, boys. Cool. Peace. Till next time, guys. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.